Welcome to episode 141 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week is week two of the Women Veteran Author series that I'm doing for the summer. Kathy wrote the book Beyond Thank You for Your Service, and she did that book to help bridge the gap between service members and civilians, and she is doing a lot of work to help teach civilians to be veteran champions. And I thought it was an interesting approach because so often the military community can turn into a self-licking ice cream cone and not rely on the civilian population that can help military families and veterans. So I'm excited to share her book and to share about her story of being in the Air Force and what she's doing today. So let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Kathy. I'm excited to have you back. Hi there. Me too, Amanda. It's good to see you again. Yeah, your episode actually that... The author episode came out today when we were recording this, and I should have wrote the number down because now I'm blanking on what the number is. But I'm just really excited to have you back to talk about your military story because we talked about your book, which I have, Beyond Thank You for Your Service. But now we get to talk a little bit more about your military experience in the Air Force. Great. Can't wait. Thank you for taking interest. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? So, Amanda, I grew up in a Navy family, an active duty family. My father was a career pilot and communications engineer. So, you know, I grew up with a huge appreciation for my country, for military service, and um, I, I, I just really wanted to serve. And so that was the primary reason I served. But the other thing that drew me to military service was the focus on leadership, education, physical fitness. The diversity of the organization was something I wanted to be a part of, you know. And I just tell people, you know, since a kid, I've had red, white, and blue coursing through my veins. And you said Navy family, but you ended up serving in the Air Force, right? Yeah. How about that? My dad was uh, pretty pretty good about it. And actually, my brother went to the Naval Academy. The reason I ended up in the Air Force was because, you know, I looked at all the services, but the Air Force had for nurses, the Air Force had a, a six month rotational program at Wilford Hall at the time, the largest hospital in the Air Force. And that gave me an opportunity to strengthen my nursing skills and try to figure out where I wanted to work. And oh, by the way, I got promoted in two years. So there was just a lot of advantages to to join the Air Force. And I want to say that, you know, my dad paid for nursing school. So Air Force nursing was really my first choice career. That's awesome. And so you had your degree in nursing and you said the Air Force looks like the best place. So I'm going to go there. So did you go to Wilford Hall first? Yep. I was at Wilford Hall actually twice. I was there for the first 
uh, I guess two years or so. And as the story goes, I met my husband, an Air Force physician. He and I ended up getting a joint spouse in England. And then he got accepted into an orthopedic surgery residency back at Wilford Hall. So of course, that's where I ended up again. And back same unit, and I was an assistant charge nurse and stayed there till about 1986, I think it was, until uh, I decided to get off active duty. So how long were you guys in England before you came back to the States? I was at Lakenheath and he was at Bentwaters. So, you know, we did the going opposite directions and I was working nights and weekends and he was working days with weekends off, you know, the typical joint spouse sort of assignment. But we were there about two and a half years, lived out on a um, a 400-year-old cottage right next to a soybean field. I mean, it was just a great experience. We had to heat this place with coal. So I'd come home after a 12-hour shift and a 45-minute commute, right? And I'd have to go out there and shovel the, the coal into the furnace to heat the house. And, you know, I drove the car with the steering wheel on the wrong side, if you will. But it was, you know, that was a, a great experience. We traveled a lot. And, you know, I was a post postpartum nurse and an L&D nurse, labor and delivery during that time. Is it normal that nurses switch around from the different specialties throughout their career? Absolutely. Uh, at Wilfrid Hall, I was in a step-down ICU, and then I was in a labor and delivery nurse. It's really all about, you know, the needs at the time. And I think oftentimes they try to leverage your skill set in other clinical areas, but there wasn't a step-down ICU at Lake and Heath, and I really wanted to do labor and delivery. So that was uh, really fun. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting that you got to do like all the different types of well, not all. Was it all or just different? Well, and, and that's really not another strong point for not only nursing, but military service, because, you know, that's what drew me to nursing in the first place. I wanted to serve people, uh, help people. But I also like the idea of being able to be outside a hospital, inside a hospital in all different kinds of uh, clinical settings. And then, you know, in the military, I could move, live a lot of different places, have a lot of varied experiences, you know, and kind of keep my seniority and uh, and kind of move up in the organization. So, you know, nursing and military service were just a great combination for just, you know, having a lot of different experiences, traveling, meeting a lot of great people and, you know, learning how to how to lead people and, you know, get better myself, if you will. Yeah, I was helping a young lady who was looking into the military and we were talking about civil engineering and she's like, it's so boring. I just sit behind a desk. And I was like, yeah, that's not the way it will be in the military. I was like, you should. (laughs) It's really different. You get to go out and it's similar. You get to do all these things and move around and see all this different stuff. And it's just a whole new experience. Well, the other thing that, you know, I just was really excited about similar to your, you know, sort of field experience as a civil engineer. Um, once I got off active duty, I joined a MASH unit, a mobile air staging hospital. I think that's the acronym. And our goal was to go out into the field and set up a staging facility where we prepared patients for flight, right? Uh, so that they could be traveled back in the air medical evacuation system to the next echelon of care. And then we also had flight nurses in the unit. This was at Kelly. And so I always wanted to be a flight nurse. Are you kidding? And so at the 32nd Air Medical Evacuation Group, I was able to do both. And, you know, I mean, that's just 
a, a great experience. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And so did you go to the reserves or National Guard? Okay, so I've had <laughs> I've done one of each, really. So I was six years active. I don't even know how many years reserve. I mean, I kind of lose track, maybe eight in the Air Force Reserve. That's when I was in the 32nd at Kelly. And then I joined the Ohio National Guard and spent the lion's share of my career in the Ohio National Guard as a public affairs officer. Oh, not a nurse. Right. I went from nursing to being a public health officer to public affairs. And, you know, really, you know, because this is a podcast about women, um, the common theme for me was to try to manage my marriage and my career. I really, really always wanted to have a full military career. That was just really important for for me from, from day one. I had aspirations of even trying to be chief of the nurse corps. Well, then I met and married a guy who became a surgeon, right? And, you know, with the rotating shifts of, you know, nursing and medicine and a surgical residency, I mean, it just wasn't going to work. So it just about broke my heart, honestly, when I chose to get off active duty. But from there, and I'll just say it bluntly, frankly, you know, he was going to be able to make more money for our family than I was. So it made sense for his career to kind of the, the leader in the family. But throughout that, I always, always kind of kept a toe in, if you will, in military service because I just didn't want to give it up. But balancing my military love, aspiration, desires with my desire also, and I know you can relate to this, your desire also to be a good wife and a mother was really very difficult for me. I I married a guy who had a really traditional view on roles of women. Kind of ironic though, you know, because you know, we met when we were both in the Air Force and that wasn't necessarily a traditional role, right? I mean, it wasn't probably, I mean, it, it, it was a challenge. Needless to say, I I'm now married to a different guy, right? But the reason I left active duty and went into the reserve and guard was so that I could have a little bit more control over where I worked, when I moved, and what I did. So did you have kids when you decided to make that transition? No, I got off active duty. I was in grad school, and then we had children. I now have three sons. I had three sons with this guy, this uh, surgeon I met. We were married for 18 years, you know, but it, it, it was challenging. I, I would have stayed had the relationship been good, but, you know, the relationship did not work well. And, you know, sometimes people would say, well, did it not work well because of the military? And I say to you, and... Oh, it didn't work well from the get-go because of our interactions and frankly, you know, because he had some some real challenges that he wasn't dealing with. It's interesting that you could see how challenging it would be to be mill to mill and have a family even before. That was what I had a similar thing. I was like, I got pregnant and then I got out because I was like, this is all great and fun, but when we have kids, life's going to get a lot more complicated. And I don't want to be a mom with kids and you live in one place and we live. In, and I was just like, yeah, it was it was so challenging for me just to be kind of a stay at home mom when he was in a surgical residency. I could have I mean, I was in grad school. Um, you know, it was hard to be a new mom and 
You know, my spouse was on call every other night in the hospital and not a very happy guy. And so, you know, it just would have really not worked at all with, with you know, us kind of missing each other all the time. But, you know, honestly, Amanda, I, I know that it can work if you have the right partnership, the right communication skills, the right support for each other. Uh, I have dear, dear nursing friends that made it work, mill to mill, but they were apart like half of their career, you know, and they had children, but they were able to make it work. And I tell you what, I tip my hats to them. And I, I, I kind of wish I had been one of those people but I wasn't. And, and yet I served 29 years and I'm very excited and proud of what I was able to do, you know, during that time frame. And, you know, I, I, I encourage anyone who would like to be in military service to do it because it's a great opportunity, a lot of fun, a lot of great learning and a great way to serve. And, and you can balance it, but you have to have the right partner. <laughs> Yeah, and I I agree with the communication being so important because I think that was one of the reasons why my husband and I decided that I was going to get out was because we communicated and we were like, well, we could do this, but I don't think we want to. And I think that is like a personal choice. Sometimes people try and project their choice onto you, but it has to be a personal choice and you have to do what's right for you and your family. And if you serve mill to mill, even if you're separated, like, and you do it, but that you're happy, then that's great. But if you decide to get out because you don't want to do that, then that's great too. And I think, I think both sides are admirable for the choices that they make. I mean, you still serve in the military, which most of the country doesn't do. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I got to say, I spent most of my career in the reserve component. I was only active for six of my 29 years, right? And I tell you, it, it's no easy feat to have a full-time job and work one weekend a month and have a family, all right? You know, I think roles in the family are shifting and that men are, if you will, sharing more in so, some of the domestic roles. I think there is that, you know, some of that is happening and more and more women are working, but it's complex and, um, and, and, it's, and it's pretty tiring. Uh, so again, it just requires a lot of good communication, planning and, and partnership to, to make it work. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, so let's get back to your career. I wanna learn more about your, the MASH unit because that sounds really fun. We'll go back there and then we'll keep going through your career. We kind of got on our tangent. What exactly were you guys doing? Who were the people that you were getting ready? Because it sounded when you first started talking, I was like, oh, you were overseas and you were help. But it was at Kelly. So I was like, no, that's not right. Okay, so one of the distinctions of my military career is that I have not been deployed into a field of into an area of conflict. I have not done that. I've trained mostly. So when I was at the 32nd at Kelly Air Force Base, I don't know, maybe three and a half years, something like that. It was mostly training out in the terrible, terrible heat in San Antonio, Texas, setting up tents and, you know, lifting the litters and, you know, doing circles, takeoffs and landings to just, just for training purposes. I did have an opportunity uh, during Operation Just Cause to help 
triage incoming wounded um, at Kelly who were being transferred to Wilford Hall for, you know, for, for further care. My, my child was six months old. And uh, again, my husband was, you know, in the operating room as an orthopedic surgeon and I was breastfeeding my baby. And, you know, I wanted nothing more, Amanda, I'll tell you as a, as a, as an officer, as a girl, as a woman, I wanted nothing more than to go do my part and fly down to Panama, and pick up wounded and bring them home. But instead, I went to my commander and I said, you know what, I will work my butt off if you assign me here to help triage uh, because, you know, my spouse is pretty much unavailable and we have a six month old baby. And so she was willing to work with me so that I could, you know, it was essentially a active duty orders probably for five days or something. That was the the experience there. And then uh, when Saddam invaded Kuwait, I was also deployed out of a base at March Air Force Base as a clinical nurse to go backfill some active duty nurses. So I was there at Nob Noster Air Force Base in Whiteman, in Whiteman, I think it was Missouri, right? And so I was a labor and delivery, a labor and delivery nurse there for 30 days. And so you know, I brought my 18-month-old with me. I brought my nanny with me. And we stayed in a BOQ for all that time, the three of us. It was, the guy, my baby got croup, you know. So, but I've not been to Iraq or Afghanistan. And, you know, my jobs were, my, my mission, my personal mission was to work tirelessly at home to make things as good as possible for my brothers and sisters in arms who were really doing the nation's and that's what I did as the director of community outreach for the Ohio National Guard. Yeah, and the backfilling at the bases is so important because we need the nurses for the families, especially labor and delivery. You need a nurse to be there. They're they're kind of essential when you're delivering a baby. So I think that's an important role that some people don't know about because a lot of my husband's career field has IMAs and they always go and like backfill different things. And and so there are also IMAs for nurses. I was an IMA at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base when I was pregnant with my third child. So you see this theme running through everything, you know, every, all my decisions kind of revolved around how do I serve and continue to take care of my, of my family. Another big event in our lives, I was, uh, I think I was I had like a seven-year break in service because we were moving and and tragically, our middle son got leukemia. And so I was like, oh, okay, I need to really pay attention to this. And so I, I did not serve while I, we were taking care of him for like four years to make sure he stayed in, in remission. But, you know, so I, honestly, I did the best I could to maintain my career, you know, pivot and turn and duck and turn, you know, based on all the the challenges of life and the opportunities that there were, you know, finally, 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 Amanda, I was in the right place at the right time with a reputation, a skill set, and, you know, a heart for a job to be the director of community outreach for the Ohio National Guard. So everything kind of came together for me in 2009 when this position was created for me to do this. And so everything kind of made sense at that point because, you know, I'd been a, a military dependent. I'd been in the reserves, the guard, active duty. I'd moved a lot. I had knowledge about the Navy. I met an army guy, you know, and so I had, you know, a lot of 
broad view that I could translate into my outreach role. So you know how we, you know, kind of pivot and turn and pivot and turn in life. I'm just glad I was able to, you know, serve the whole time. But, 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 but all these pivots and turns didn't help me, you know, reach the highest pinnacles of my military career. I had to make a lot of personal choices that were the right choices, but there were difficult choices too to, you know, understand the big picture and make decisions accordingly that I felt okay with. Yeah. That's a really good point. The especially with like dual military couples or even if you have a military spouse or a military family and like your family needs you to go somewhere that's better for them, you have to make those sacrifices to help your family and I think that and it can hurt your career. It's not always like, oh, everything will be fine. It doesn't matter where I go or what I do. It's always a decision. Yeah. So, so, you know, really understanding the big picture and understanding your values, right? You know, and living your life so you won't have any regrets. I, I sound sort of sentimental and, and I'm going kind of deep, but I, it, it's, it's really true um, because these decisions are hard and the impacts is substantial, right? And so, after my 29 years, as I looked back, I had some disappointment for not being able to have my career be the priority thing because I was, I would have loved nothing more than to be a senior military officer, right? And serve in that capacity. But instead, I had the opportunity to dig deep into what I understood my skill sets really were and what really made me tick and what brought me joy. And so kind of like making lemonades out of making lemon out of lemonades. Okay, if I can't stay on active duty and I can't have my military career be the primary um, thread in my life, how can I find a lot of joy and fulfill and contribute in ways that um, excite me. And so understanding what my strengths were, I moved in directions that were unique to me and my skill set that frankly didn't help me get promoted either. Okay. But I, you know, did something that was really important to me. Now I am a Lieutenant Colonel. Okay. But I was a Lieutenant Colonel for 14 years, Amanda. So I got promoted early or whatever, you know, vacant unit vacancy. And, and I never moved from there. Okay. So it's just, it's, I mean, you know, I was in 29, I was a Lieutenant Colonel for 14 years, but I was doing what I loved. Okay. And I loved wearing the uniform, but I knew that in public affairs or in designing this unique, never been done before outreach office for Ohio, was better suited for me than maybe being in a traditional squadron commander, group commander and above. And and oh, by the way, it was really hard to compete because I was competing with people who'd been in the unit for all of their career. You know, I mean, were you in the reserve and guard? No, I, I just got out. Yeah. So when you transfer into the reserve and guard, most of those people live and work there most of their career. So as an active duty newcomer, you know, I was always the new kid on the block. And, and, and most of the time, my bosses wanted me to be the change agent and create something new and different. And oh, by the way, you know, I, I was, 
when I was at the 121st Air Refueling Wing in Columbus, I was the first female in, as the executive officer. So there were 400 of us full-time on base, a total of like 1,400 overall, full-time and part-time. But I was the only female officer on base uh, full-time. So, you know, that's, you know, in my book, I say, I say, you know, because of that, I usually ate lunch alone. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting dynamic of being a military spouse who's in the reserves or National Guard and having to move around a lot because like sometimes people go from active duty to reserves, but then they don't usually move. And so like maybe they're the new person for like the first two or three years, but you were the new person all the time, all the time. Yeah. And, and so when, when my husband decided, my first husband decided to get off active duty, he was ready. I chose Lancaster, Ohio as the place that I wanted to give our children roots and we wanted to start a business, you know, kind of have our, our our financial career, so to speak, right? And so when I finally stopped moving and lived in a small, you know, a mid-sized town in the Midwest, whew, I really started to understand how different my life had been, you know, some of the sacrifices, you know, some of the feelings of disconnection from some of the feelings of, you know, not feeling like you belong anywhere. And so that's really what I wanted for that middle part of my life. And that's where the idea for veteran champions sort of started, you know, I started thinking about it because quick story. So I think I was 40 years old and I was very involved in the local chamber of commerce because we had just started a healthcare practice and I was very involved in healthcare practice. And a, a local business guy had been out on a nearby lake on a jet ski hit a dock and was killed instantly. Okay. So I went to his funeral and to be honest, Amanda, I remember thinking, man, I haven't been to many funerals. I lost my, my mother at 30 and, you know, my grandparents had died, but as a 40 year old, you know, because I'd moved so much, you know, I didn't get to know the lady down the street who had cancer. And oh, by the way, most people that you're surrounded by when you're in even any way regarded, you know, military connected, right? They're in pretty good, they're pretty good health, right? And they're fairly young. So I was like, wow, okay, I've never been to a funeral. And then I was like, I, I don't even really know what a city council person is or a, a county commissioner. Or what is state rep? You know, I had the classes in school, but I, I didn't understand how America worked, you know? I mean, I had a very different experience kind of skimming through life, kind of always on my own, right? Taking care of myself. And so that's why I'm so passionate about cultivating civilian veteran champions to help service members who don't have a network and feel disconnected. Yeah. You're like totally speaking my my life right now because we're a military family and we move. And someone was like, why don't you get involved? And I'm like, well, we're going to move and like, three or four years and like I don't want to get like too involved like I'll get involved in my church but like getting involved in like the community ah, I don't know because I'm just gonna pick up and leave and that's also one of the reasons it's hard for me to get involved in veteran organizations because like I don't I don't want to go to the VFW make connections and then move and have to start all over again you know and and getting involved in that sort of thing is really hard What's really hard? To get involved in, I'm afraid of going to like a veteran organization and then having to start all over again. All right, sweet girl. We got to talk about this. (laughs) 
Now, okay, first of all, you know about Team Red, White, and Blue, Mission Continues, Rubicon, all those, right? Kind of for, kind of for the younger people, if you will. Um, you know, that's that delicate balance, man, of, if you will, getting your social needs met, your friendship, your emotional needs met, and, you know, feeling like you have that sense of belonging and gauging, judging when and how to do that and, you know, maintain your time with your kids. I mean, it's, again, that's another personal decision, but I, th- I think one of the best things for me about moving around was that it really helped me be an extrovert. It really helped me learn new things quickly and be very curious. I'm a super curious person. And to be, I think, open-minded, you know, military people are typically pretty open-minded, you know, with diversity and inclusion, and they love, they love differences in people. You know, that's, that's the good stuff. And, and knowing how to be, you know, situationally responsive as a situational leader, you know, I've had some, a lot of leadership training, and I am a leadership trainer and coach. But Honestly, the more sensitive part maybe is that, you know, I have very few really good friends and probably because I'm a workaholic and I have all these ideas and I'm just always focused on the next project. Uh, And who knows, maybe that's a coping mechanism from learning, you know, bouncing around a lot. I don't know, but it's really important to have your emotional anchors. And uh, again, my life story has just been very different from someone who, you know, graduated from high school, went to college with the same people, stayed in the same community to, you know, get their jobs, has their, you know, their, their mother-in-law, watch their kids. I mean, you don't experience any of those things, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. So I think being very aware of, you know, how do you meet your emotional needs and your professional needs, because they're very important as you continue to, to move around. And there's, you know, this podcast is a great idea because you're building your brand and you can do that wherever you go and you're sharing a really important message. Yeah, I love my podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah, good job. It makes me so happy. Good. So let's talk more about what this veteran champion is. I, I've, I mean, I've read your book, so I know, but I would love to hear you talk about what it means for civilians who are listening, because I have a good amount of civilians who listen to the channel and what that means. Thank you for asking. First, I invite everybody who's listening to join the veteran champion movement and be a part of the win. What does that mean? That means to develop, establish, create mutually beneficial activities and services that promote the quality of life of service members, veterans, and their families, and by so doing, improve our workforce and our community. So simply put, developing relationships with those who are serving or have served and their families to do things that's going to create a win-win. Okay. A primary example is a civilian who is away from home over Thanksgiving near a military base, and they invite service members who are by themselves for Thanksgiving dinner. Guess what? 30 years later, they're still buddies. Okay. That's a win-win. Emotional support, friendship, Okay, you're helping the service member who feels alone over a holiday. And oh, by the way, the civilian who has the same feeling, but over the years, they can help each other through challenges. That's a sort of an easy example. Or 
you know, uh, a, a more obvious example is understanding the business case for hiring veteran talent, doing it because it's going to help your workforce be stronger and because it's the right thing to do, but knowing how to do it in the right way to help that service member excel within your culture. It's a win-win for the, the person you hire, be it the service member, veteran, or the spouse, right? It's a huge win for that family because of financial reasons, self-esteem, emotion, okay? And it's also a win for the workforce because research shows that veterans are more productive, that they are more mission-focused, and that cost savings can be generated with your investment in a veteran hiring program that works for everybody and is a win-win. One other example I'm very passionate about is developing a volunteer-led faith community military ministry. So that means that a veteran military spouse, a mother of a service member, a grandmother, who knows, just an aunt, uncle, somebody who loves the military goes to their place of worship and says, what are we doing for the military families around us? Do we even know who the military connected people are in our congregation, in our community. It's really an ideal environment for military people to come together within their faith communities. Why? Because of the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, research shows that about 40% of them have a difficult time finding meaning or purpose post-military service. Now, you don't necessarily have to have gone to combat to feel that way. You know, you and I feel disconnected because of all our moving, right? But, you know, military service can be challenging in and of itself, even without combat. But if you go to combat and you have some of the, the, uh, the, the conditions that can come from combat, then it makes it even more challenging to connect and feel supported in your community. So faith communities are hospitable. They've got a, a wide range of uh, membership in their congregation. And uh, but just with a little bit of education and a stick-to-itiveness and some perseverance and an open, caring, loving heart and persistence, you can make a huge, huge difference in the lives of service members, veterans, and their families. So it's a win-win. It's a win for the military family, but it's also a win for the faith community, Amanda, because faith communities want to serve others. They want to spread the word about their faith. They want to be hospitable and they want more members in their uh, congregation. But fundamentally, they do it because it's the right thing to do and they want to help welcome our warriors and their families all the way home. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And I, I found a lot of connection within the faith community. Oh, good. COVID kind of messed up everything with that. Yeah. But one of the hardest things that for me as a military spouse or even a service member was the process to like become a leader or to volunteer is very complicated for someone who's only going to be there for two to four years. And by the time I get like Sometimes they make it so complicated and it's because they're making this program for someone who's not going to move. That's a good point. And yeah. so sometimes I led a Bible study in California, but 
to be a Bible study leader, I had to go to all this training. And then eventually I could lead the Bible study. And it was like, I don't really have time (laughs) to do all these things. But I did and it was good. But it would have been nice if it was just a little tweak of making it easier well, and, and you know, Amanda, this may be another way for you to serve your uh, serve through your faith, and that is to go find the military people in your congregation, wherever you are, and bring them together. And, you know, what is the demographic of those people? You know, you're probably going to connect mostly with other military spouses. That I, That's kind of my experience. I connect more easily with women of any age, then I'm going to connect with a combat veteran, right? I've never been to combat, right? So go into your congregation and find the military connected people, bring them together and say, hey, how can we support each other? You know, we may only going to be here a a, a few years. How can we make it work? There's a, a one program I'd like to give a shout out for, and that's called Crew Military. Crew Military is a Christian-based organization for typically active duty families that are typically closer to uh, large uh, active duty military installations. But there's all kinds of great curriculum that are focused specifically on military families. And so, you know, you can go out and lead on your own and create your own unique military ministry, bringing families together, having a potluck, finding out what their needs are of the, of the people in your specific group, and then finding ways to meet their needs. If, if nothing else, you can come together and pray if that's what you so choose to do, you can share scripture and you can just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. You know, is there anything I can do for you? And then you can connect them to the veteran support resources in your community. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a counselor or a therapist. You just need to care and open your arms and invite them to come be in relationship with you and build those connections during that short period of time. And that's the other thing I, you know, that is a key part of me. I, I kind of like to get to it pretty quickly and be open-minded, you know, about my heart and my head, because I know my relationship with you could be very short term. And I want to connect as quickly as we can and have an authentic relationship if you're so willing, because, I may not be here very long, right? I mean, that's kind of been my mindset most of my life. So be having authentic relationships is probably or really wanting authentic relationships with people in a in a shorter period of time is, you know, probably a result of all the moving I've done and, you know, feel, kind of feeling, you know, kind of disconnected a lot. Yeah, that's so true. I think, yeah, military spouses and service members were like, we don't have time for the niceties. Let's just dive right in. Yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. a friend. Yeah, exactly. When I was a lieutenant, one of my really good friends that I didn't know at the time, she sent me an email because she looked on the email chain that had went out and she's like, your name is Amanda and I know you're a female and I need friends. So can you be my... Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. I love it. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's just so easy to, you know, build that bond with uh, other, other women veterans because we need each other. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Is there anything from your career or from what you're doing today that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? I would like to invite all your listeners to a new program that 
myself, another Air Force veteran, and a civilian leader of a nonprofit, Susan and Wendy, we are starting a monthly leadership discussion forum, virtual, called Women Who Lead. The idea is to talk about leadership, education, assessment, and development to empower veteran and civilian women and to foster support for both. It's in line with creating that win-win opportunity. It's going to be the second Wednesday of every month at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And uh, Vanguard Veteran is my business. I will be doing social media posting on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That was one shout out I wanted to offer. And we'd love to have women veterans from around the country join us. And it's it's just got so much potential to, you know, really help bridge that understanding between military and civilian women. It's going to be awesome. And then the the other question I wanted to reflect on that you sent me in the notes and I think is really important. I, I don't know if you're going to ask me, but were you going to go there next? Yeah, that's my last question. I always save that one for the end, but I'll put a link in the show notes so that people can find that program so that they don't have to find your website. And so just send me that link and I'll add that. But yeah, my last question is <laughs> what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? I say, go for it. Moms, let your daughters fly. Let your daughters experience that, okay? It is doable. They may not want to serve 29 years like I did. Going and serving at all is wonderful for their development, for, their, for, their, for every skill you can imagine. For the young lady who is considering this, I say to you, do the next right thing to prepare yourself for this opportunity. First, keep doing well in school. Take it serious, okay? Second, don't get in trouble. Don't get in trouble. Third, learn to love exercise, okay? You, if you don't like it now, teach yourself. Not only is it good for you physically and mentally, it's going to help you excel once you get into the military. And you know what? Have an open, curious open, curious mindset because you are going to learn and meet some amazing people who are doing amazing things. Don't be afraid to take a little bit of risk. Don't be afraid to move away from home. Did you hear what Amanda said? You're going to meet another woman service member who needs to be your friend and you are going to have a great time while you're working really hard wearing the cloth of the nation. Go for it. If I can offer anybody any tips, uh, suggestions, uh, you know, answer any questions, my email is Kathy with a K at VanguardVeteran.com. I'd love to hear from you. I hope that uh, you will consider joining. And Amanda, I want to wish you the best in everything uh, as you continue to do this important work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. And I can't wait to share this interview when it's time for it to go live. Thank you, Amanda. Keep in touch, my friend. Let's be friends, okay? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps 
helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Thank you.